0: Hey, hey, good evening, church. Yeah, come on, let's go ahead and stand together. We're glad you're here in the house of God. Are you glad to be here tonight? Yeah. Hey, we're going to start, and we're just going to be praying this, of saying, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, because I want to see you. So, church, maybe just as beginning, as we're getting ready to start, Feel free to take your hands. You can open your hands just like this, or you can turn your eyes up to heaven. And let's just say that. I want to see you. Just say that to the Lord. Say, I want to see you. Feel free to say that out loud. Just say, I want to see you. Yes, Lord. That's true of us. So come on, let's sing that right here. Sing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you Sing open the eyes Prayers from our hearts straight to God. So let's invite the Holy Spirit and sing this. Sing, Come fly this space. Holy Spirit, no one else can take your place. Come have your way, Lord. No one else can take your We invite you, Come fly this space.
1: Things you've done before In greater measure You will do again There's no prayer again The darkest night
0: Go for
2: Can we get ready to go back into It's Your Breath in Our Lungs? I I'd sense just during worship that some of you have given up on some things, and the Lord says, I can do it. I can do it. But you're out of breath. You're tired. You're weary. It's, it's vexed you for so long that you're just ready to kind of collapse under the load of it. And so tonight you're going to get the breath back. You're going to get the strength back. You're going to get the courage back to stand up, shoulders back, head high, to press into the thing. And so if that's you right now, can you just open up your hands and say, I need the breath back. I need life back. I need strength back. I need courage back. We all need this at given points in our lives. I need the breath back tonight. So Lord, we pray that you'd give us our breath, that you'd give us your breath, that you'd fill us with your spirit tonight. You said you could do it. (laughs) The thing we've given up on, you said you could do it. So we pray tonight that you give us your breath in our lungs. It's your breath in our lungs. Come on. So we pour out our... Come on, church. A couple more minutes here. As we come to give to the lord of our tithes and offerings i am here to officially invite you into being a part of the body of christ right here at new life friday night if you call this your home church i invite you to give why last week we gave ten thousand dollars to pastor william in lahore pakistan and since last friday night giving him that check his community has blown up i don't know if you've seen the news but Some Muslims have gone in and they've accused these Christians of blaspheming and defacing the Quran. And so they've gone in and they've burned their homes down. It's it's pandemonium over there. And that $10,000 that we gave as a congregation is going to meet daily needs. Give those people this day their daily bread. It's important, it's important. After last Friday night service, went to bed. My son and I got up. We got on a plane. We flew down to Guatemala City. Jeremiah and Nikki Parks picked us up at the airport. I want to show you the first picture of Jeremiah and Nikki. Many of you know them and you love them. Do we have that picture? The first picture, number one. Yes. Jeremiah and Nikki worked here for 15 years at New Life Church. They were youth pastors. They worked in our global outreach. They've done so much through the years. Their kids were born and raised here And if you've been around, you know them. And they picked us up and they took us down to Casa Angelina, an orphanage that they work at and live at six months out of the year. Jeremiah and Nikki take their three kids six months out of the year to live at this orphanage. And there's 150 kids that live there that they take care of every day. It's a gorgeous property, 24 acres that they live on. And these kids were rescued out of the most horrific abuse you've ever heard of. They were picked up out of the streets, out of trash cans. These kids were throwaways. And and the people of God, their hearts broke. And they said, no, they're not throwaways. They're coming into the family. And they moved them into Casa Angelina, 150 kids thriving. And yes, praise the Lord. Jeremiah and Nikki are on the front lines of that. Second picture I want you to see is one of the widows that we got to meet. She has 10 children. She's 50 years old. Two of her husbands have died, so she's a widow twice over, and Casa Angelina said, hey, we want to build you a house that you can live in, the first safe house you've ever been in, and she's this mom with 10 kids, and she, little bitty cinder block hut, concrete floor, and you would think she thinks she's the richest woman on the planet to have moved into this house. And the spirit of the Lord is restoring her and her children. And it cost $9,000 to build this cinder block house. And she is so thankful for people like Jeremiah and Nikki and churches like ours who will send resources down there to support them. That's, that's one of the widows. Let me show you this second, the, the second widow. I think she's three feet tall. I'm not exaggerating. 75 years old, seven children, And her name is Maria. And she invited us into her house and she told her, told us how good God has been to her. She said, you should have seen where I lived before I had a tarp. And I had some poles holding up that tarp, but it's an incredibly rainy climate. Like it rains all the time. It looks like rainforest down there. And she said, and when the rains would come in, the tarp would collapse and I'm stuck under in this puddle. And, and I wonder when it's gonna stop raining. Sometimes it's days and she's in, And so to move into a cinder block house, she said to us, she goes, now when it rains, I just go take a nap. <laughs> Can we praise God? for the work that's being done. (laughs) Jeremiah and Nikki Parks are laying down their lives. They have pressed their children into service. All five of them as a family have signed up to serve the least and the lost and the poor and the heartbroken and 116 widows that they've built homes for. 150 kids live in the orphanage, 116 widows. They know all their names. They take them groceries every week. Friends, I'm here tonight. We flew in late last night. I'm here tonight telling you that the dollars you give, they matter. They matter. And tonight, after this offering, we're gonna send an extra gift down to Jeremiah and Nikki because I've just seen it with fresh eyes. What they're doing matters and we as a church are gonna stand with them. Can you say amen tonight, church? So as we pray, as we pray, I want you to see what James 1.27 says. James, the half-brother of Jesus. He said, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. You wanna know good, clean, faithful religion? He says it's to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Friends, as we give tonight, let's pray over the work at Casa Angelina. Lord, we pray, pour out your spirit on those 150 kids. And we pray that you would raise them up to be nation changers. That Guatemala would be transformed because those kids were delivered and saved and refamilied. Lord, we pray for those 116 widows, for Maria and all of her friends, We pray, pour out your spirit. May they lack nothing. Would you be their comforter? Would you be the God that's close to them? And so Lord, we as a church, we give tonight by faith and we pray that these gifts would go down there and to all around the world and all over our city. And we pray your kingdom would come and your will would be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, let's continue to worship as we give to the Lord. Oh you grateful to be led by this team every single week. Can you say thank you to them for their excellence? Thank you for sacrificing, for practicing, for showing up ready to go. We love you. If you're new, welcome to New Life Friday Night. I'm Daniel Grothy, pastor here. We would love to meet you at Guest Central after the service, give you a gift, get to know you, tell you a little bit more about what's happening here. So if that's you, swing by after the service. And second announcement we've got the Free Man Conference happening tomorrow here, and it's uh, on campus from 8 to 11 a.m. It's completely free. So, guys, if you want to come, if you've got a Saturday morning open, if you don't have a Saturday morning open, come. The free man conference is going to be excellent. We would love to see you here. You can register online or just show up. Uh, Can we give it up for our teachers and administrators here tonight? All of you serving tutors in classrooms. It's just a big time of year and we bless you and we're praying God's grace over you. We're praying it's a beautiful school year for you and for all of the students. And so we recognize you. We think you're heroes. Well done, good and faithful. One more time for the teachers, administrators, tutors. Good job. Last thing, tonight we have the Pastor Andrew Arndt here to preach to us. Andrew is the pastor of New Life East. I've known him 26 years. I love the man to death. He's a 2 a.m. phone call. If life hit the fan, who would I call? He's right at the top of that list. I trust him implicitly. He's a man of God and one of my dearest friends on the planet. So when he comes up here in just a few minutes, just lose your minds for like 10, 10 seconds. Welcome him. Be kind. And let's hear the word of the Lord. One, two, three. Be nice. Cross the aisle. Hug a neck. Shake a hand. Say hi to each other. Amen.
3: All right, hello everybody. What's hey, up, my man? You all right? Uh, oh, okay. Hey, good. <laughs> Stop. It's so good to see you. Hello. That's enough. He did this. Where is he? Growthy, You did this. That did actually. I'm not gonna lie. That made me feel good. Thank you. It's so good to see you. I'm so happy to be with you tonight. Did you guys have a good summer? All right. Yeah. Uh, can we give it up for summer? And it's It's going away, so, but we gotta express our love. I had an absolutely wonderful summer, New Life Church. One of the things that they do that's so wonderful is they give their pastors and ministry staff periodic uh, sabbaticals. So every so often, uh, just a time to get away. And be refreshed and replenish strength and energy. And so that's what I did this summer. And Mandy and I took a trip uh, to London, which was amazing. And then uh, we went up to Wisconsin to see our families up there for a couple weeks, which was great. It was like perfect time of year to be up there. And I ran an ultra marathon when I was up there. You know how many miles that is? 35. And do you know what? It was terrible. <laughs> Somebody was like, what was it like? And I was like, it's not nice. But I did do it, and so that felt good. But that was fun. And then I took a trip to Africa and uh, to Uganda and met with the Ugandan Christians there and preached a little bit, and that was so much fun. And then we finished up with a week in Rockport Beach, Texas, right in the Gulf, Cor- uh, Gulf Coast. And it was 198 degrees every single day. It was incredible. And somebody said to me when I came back, they were like, so were you ready to get back? I was like, well... I wasn't mad about what I was doing, but I'll tell you what I did miss. Man, I missed this. And I was telling Daniel on the front row just a second ago, I think this all the time in just about every New Life environment I'm in, this is revival. It just is, I mean, you could turn around. and look. This room is jammed to the gills. And people are crowding into houses of God all over this city, hungry and thirsty for the Lord's presence willing to give their tithes and their offerings and their resources. They're making sacrifices to see the kingdom come and the will of God be done, not just here, but around the world. And we're seeing people healed and saved and baptized and leaders being raised up. And this is revival. And I cannot believe that I get to be part of it, that we get to be part of it. And so do you know what I say to you tonight, church? Let's keep running at it with all of our might. Let's give God the best that we can give him until we have no more breath in our lungs, amen? It's just astonishing to be a part of a work of God like this. I'm in the book of 1 Kings uh, chapter two tonight. We've started a series across all the New Life Congregations. Uh, called Kings and Kingdoms. They're in the book of 1 Kings. Some of you are pulling it out with your phones there. I'm going to have it up on the screen here. Some of you have paper Bibles, and so super Christians are in the house tonight. But we're in 1 Kings chapter 2. Just a brief recap, just to situate kings in terms of biblical history. God, after he delivered his people up out of Egypt, it was never his will to have single powerful rulers over the people of God. Do you know why that is? Because God knows that singular powerful rulers tend to be troublesome. Can I get an amen from somebody? He just never wanted it. What God's will really was, was that God would rule over his people through the office of prophets. So he would have people that declared the word of God to the people of God. And then he would have priests, and the priests would mediate the presence of God to the people of God. And then he would have judges or leaders, basically a series of administrators, that would kind of keep the machinery of Israel moving down the tracks. And that was God's will. And they went many, many, many years this way, until finally in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel was one of the judges, the leaders of Israel, one of the greatest leaders that Israel saw. And he had two boys that were really not fit to take over his job as the judge. And so the people of God came to Samuel and they said, Samuel, man, you're great. We have loved you. You've been a great leader, but your boys leave something to be desired. So we've got a great idea. How about you give us a king? And Samuel's like, oh my gosh. So Samuel goes to the Lord and he goes, God. Now they're like at my throat here. They're asking me to give them a king and I don't want to do it because I know it's going to be trouble. And the Lord says, it's not you that they have rejected. They've actually rejected me. As it was always the will of God to be king directly over his people. He said, they've rejected me as king. So give them a king. This is what the Lord says. You can read about it in 1 Samuel chapter eight. But he says, you go ahead and tell them what the king that you're about to put over them will do. And life will not be good. And we see through the rest of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel that kings, even the best of them, like King David, I mean, they're trouble. They're flawed human beings with a lot of power and things don't go great. So we get to 1 Kings. And old King David is getting ready to die. He's backed off of his leadership in a really significant way. And it creates this vacuum of power. We saw this in 1 Kings chapter 1. where one of David's sons, Adonijah, rises up and says, well, I'm gonna be the king here. And Bathsheba gets all freaked out by that. And she goes to David and says, that can't be the king. And David rises up and says, you're right. Adonijah is not the king. Solomon is the king. I'm going to make good my oath. And this guy, whose name means king of peace, is going to be the king to reign over the people of God. And with that, we pick up the narrative here in the book of 1 Kings uh, chapter 2. If you're there, would you holler at me real loud and say, I'm there? All right. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Kings chapter 2. Uh, When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. So here's David now installing uh, Solomon as king. And he says, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, as it's written in the law of Moses. And do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go and that the lord may keep his promise to me namely that if your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul you'll never fail to have a successor on the throne of israel so this is a good start i like this now verse 5 watch this now you yourself know What Joab, son of Zeruiah, did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether, he killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle. And with that blood, he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals on his feet. So deal with him, (laughs) David says, deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. But, David says, show kindness to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead and let them be, among those who eat at your table, for they stood by me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember, you have with you Shimei, son of Gera, the Benjamite from Bahurim, who called down bitter curses on me the day I went to Mahanaim. When he came, when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord that I'm not going to put you to death by the sword. But now, David says, Do not consider him innocent, for you are a man of wisdom, and you will know what to do with him. Bring his gray head down to the grave in blood. And then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David, and he had reigned 40 years. Somebody back there really liked that verse. <laughs> like one of the weirder memory verses to have, that you've been carrying around on a card in your pocket for a long time. That is strange. I ain't calling you out, but that's an odd one. He had reigned 40 years over Israel, seven years in Hebron, and 33 years in Jerusalem. And so David sat on the throne of his father David in his rule was firmly established. Brothers and sisters, this, even this, is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Let's pray. What a good thing it is to be in your presence, oh God. What a good thing it is to be in your presence. The psalmist says it's good to be near to God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge and I will tell of all of your deeds. I was thinking I was taking a walk before church and I got caught in that little rainstorm and sat under a tree and watched the rain come down. I thought of that verse in Zechariah, ask the Lord for rain. And tonight we are saying rain on us, oh God. And our lives are weary, the ground is weary. We're very thirsty, we're always thirsty for you. We're always thirstier than we even know for you. And so we ask the Lord for rain. We say, Come. And as we tuck up next to you here in your presence, as we listen to the word of God, we ask that we would find ourselves just drawn into your presence. We ask, Oh, God, this is what I'm pleading before you tonight. I'm asking that the good God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ would make his face known tonight, that the power of the Holy Spirit would fall upon us tonight, a comfort would, oh, that the comfort of God would be rich in the house tonight and that you would make us more like Jesus Christ for that is always the will of God for us. So grant that, we pray. I'm asking tonight that the words of my mouth as the preacher and the meditation of our hearts as your hearers would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, Amen. So here we have this text. And here is David installing his son Solomon as king. And David starts out by saying, Hey, you're going to walk in the decrees and the laws and the statutes and the regulations of the Lord, and it's going to go well with you and all of that. And then we have this whole program that David basically says, Look, there have been some adversaries in the kingdom. And Solomon, as the king over the kingdom, it's your job to put down the adversaries to help establish peace among the people of God. And As you read the rest of this chapter all the way through to the end, one of the things that you see, actually the thing that you see, is that Solomon does exactly this. He instigates this program basically to take all of these adversaries of God and put them down. One Old Testament commentator actually interestingly says that these adversaries in this chapter are very much positioned like the Satan is positioned in Genesis chapter 3. That Israel is actually like a renewed garden of Eden, and Solomon as the new Adam is supposed to chase the adversaries out of the garden of God. He does it in kind of a brutal way, and we're gonna get to that later, but he does establish God's peace. And in fact, it says it there in verse 12. It says that the kingdom was firmly established in Solomon's hands, and then he goes through this program of putting the adversaries down, and at the end of chapter two, it says this, verse 46, the second half of it. First Kings chapter two, 46 feet, you got it? I mean, I can, there it is. The kingdom was now firmly, it was established, in Solomon's hands. And when you look at the scriptures, one of the things that you have to be constantly asking yourself when you read the Bible, is you can't just kind of, uh, you can't just kind of read it and draw uh, easy moral conclusions from it, but the Bible has been recruited by the Spirit of God to bear witness to the living person of Jesus Christ. So when we read the Bible, the big question that we need to be asking ourselves is how does this text or that text reveal to us the eternal purpose of God in Jesus Christ, the Lord. And so one of the things that I'll just say this to you as we look at this text, we'll say this, that it is the will of God to bring disorder to an end in God's good world. Can I get an amen? Amen. I mean, that's what these people represent here, that they're disordering influences in God's good world. Solomon gets them taken care of and establishes peace throughout Israel. And when you look at the Scriptures this is what you see God doing over and over and over again. This isn't a subplot in Scripture. <laughs> God's will to bring the disorder of the world to an end is a major plot line of Scripture. Think, for instance, about the psalmist, Psalm 1. "A Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, Or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is, somebody can finish it here, is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in season, whose leaf doesn't wither with whatever he does. But the psalmist says, then he pivots. The psalmist says, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. And therefore, the wicked won't stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction and that moral perspective is never ever abandoned throughout the psalms the psalmist just hangs on to that all the way through that it is the will of god to put down the adversaries of god to establish order it carries right through the prophets when you read the prophets this is their whole thing they're like god is watching out for the righteous but all of that wickedness that's happening out there god is trying to put that down and it carries straight through into the new testament in fact One of the ways that the Apostle Paul talks about the ministry of the risen Jesus, like what Jesus is doing right now, is he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says that Jesus right now is reigning, and he says, Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after Jesus has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Verse 25, for he must reign. So what's Jesus doing right now? He's reigning until he has put what? What? Man, all of his enemies. What is Jesus Christ doing right now? He's putting all of his enemies under his feet. Verse 26, and the very last enemy to be destroyed is death. But This is what God is doing. And you see it clearly in Jesus Christ, who is the new Solomon who sits on the throne of God. Jesus Christ is putting down the enemies of God. And I want to say to you tonight, that this is part, an inextricable part, of the good news that we proclaim. And we can rest in this knowledge that there is a God who is at work on our behalf, throwing down the enemies of God and establishing order, not just in our little lives, but in the wider life society in the world. We can rest in this. And I, I've been following Jesus all of my life. I have been in the church all of my life. I've been reading the Bible all of my life. And I have come to be very firmly convinced that this sort of impulse in God, you know what this really is? This is like the dad impulse in the heart of God. And I had a real, have, he's still alive, have a really, really good dad. How many of you in the room when you say, I had a great dad growing up? I and mean, you know, you had a good dad growing up. Your dad is warm to you and he loves you and there's a tenderness about him, but to also, there is something about when dad walks in the room or like walks in the building, the atmosphere kind of like it changes, you know? And I've got, I got three younger siblings and my mom is a godly, virtuous woman with great authority, but that's a tall task, all those kids. And I just remember so many days when we were growing up that the house would just be like complete chaos. And my poor mom was just like trying desperately to like hold it all together, you know, and praying the prayer of the psalmist, how oh, long, oh Lord, Lord. You know? And then all of a sudden you would hear the garage door, the door from the garage into the kitchen, slam, bang. And, it was my, and he wasn't doing it because he was mad. He just, my dad just kind of, dad walking into the house, going boom, you know. And you feel, wow, the whole atmosphere of the house would just shift. And all of a sudden, it was, dad, you know, you drop your video game controller, and you're scurrying to put everything back together, you know, and everything. Line up and hello, father, you know, how was your... And my sister's sitting on the front row. She knows there's a little hyperbole there, but it's not that far off the mark. Also, I was reflecting, honey, about how, I'm looking at my wife now, how sadly... <laughs> I've not been able to duplicate this in my house, and I don't know what the problem is. <laughs> but we're gonna roll with what we got. But you know what? But it is a dad thing. And you see this throughout biblical history, I think that we have seen it in the history of the world, that there are moments where it seems like, where is God, where is, where is, where is the king? And then dad shows up, and all of a sudden the atmosphere changes. And I think it, about history in the last couple hundred years, I think about the overturning of slavery in the United States. That wasn't just some random thing, like if we're thinking biblically about that, that wasn't just some random thing that happened where it's like, well, that's nice. You know what that was? That was 1 Corinthians 15. It is necessary for him to be reigning until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. That was the Lord Jesus Christ standing up in the authority of his father and throwing down a great evil in our world. I think about the fall of the Third Reich, the Nazi regime in Germany. That was not just some like, well, you know, if they'd played their cards better. Do you know what that was? That was the judge of all the earth rising up and judging rightly in our world. I think about moments like that, you know. I think about the fall of the Berlin Wall there in East Germany and the Iron Curtain collapsing and all of that, like in the liberation that that represented. And you, as you think about human history, you could multiply example after example after example. God is not absent from his world He has not abandoned it, and it is the will of God and Jesus Christ our Lord, the true and better Solomon, to, to restore and establish the reign of God so that we might live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. The great Martin Luther King Jr. once said this, he said that the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And I've been Thinking about that phrase for a long time, and one of the things that I've come to the conclusion of is that the reason that he could say that Martin Luther King Jr. grew up in the church, he was an ordained minister, and one of the reasons that he could say that was because he knew the moral arc of the universe is long and it bends towards justice. He knew that that was true because there is a strong arm that bends it towards justice. Our world by itself just doesn't trend towards what's right. (laughs) By itself, it trends towards what's wrong and what's evil and what's destructive. And so whenever and wherever we see justice established, peace established, righteousness established, we can be sure that the living God is doing that through his Christ, by the agency of his spirit. Can I get an amen from somebody? But it's not just the large things out there in God's good world, but it's our own lives. It comes down to the, to the very close and the very personal Mandy and I just celebrated 23 years of being married. We have been together in some form or another. Thank you, I appreciate that. For It feels weird to say, but we've been together for a quarter of a century. Wow. It's like, I don't know, that just felt good to me. But let me tell you something. In 25 years of being together, we have had so many moments where our back was against the wall and the enemies were nipping at our heels And we did not know what to do. I can remember situation after situation after situation. I remember one where it was like, I mean, it was the same. It was like, Lord, the psalmist, Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many are rising up against me? Many are saying to me, God will not deliver him. You have no help in God. And we have been there situations where it just felt like we were walled in and there was no escape. I remember one such situation where it just felt like the game was over, the lights were about to, sh- like the story was over. And I remember sitting on the back porch with one of my friends and I'm just laying this whole thing out in front of him. I said, you don't understand what's happened to us and what all of these people are saying in this whole situation. Like they are crowded in against us. And as far as I can understand, I think that it's going to end like this. Like it is lights out for us. And my friend kept going, yeah, no." how can, what, what, yeah, no. (laughs) Are you dumb? Do you not understand what I just said to you? But all of the dynamics of this are going to lead to our being crushed. And he goes, no, I just don't know. Not, not on God's watch, not on God's, not in God's time. I'm telling you, he's going to take care of you. And we watched the whole situation just turn inside out and we just stood there astonished at what God did. I could multiply story after story after story like that. We got a gal in our congregation over at New Life East was married to this awful, abusive, narcissistic man for many, many, many years and started going through this absolutely terrible divorce. And I remember her coming up to me after a first Wednesday service, you know, one night here at the main campus, and she said, Andrew, look, this is how it is. This whole thing has been trending this direction. We're headed for divorce and we're about to like meet in court just this coming week, and we're gonna stand before the judge, and we're gonna divide up all of our stuff. And she goes, This man is such a manipulator, and he is such a deceiver, and he is such a narcissist. She said, I am terrified, like in my bones, I am terrified that he's gonna find some way to swing the judge to his side and I'm gonna wind up looking like the evil person in this and I'm not going to get the things that I need to try to conduct my life apart from him. Can we please pray? And I remember praying with her in the back after our first Wednesday service and we prayed the prayer of the psalmist. We said, God, the psalmist says that our God is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him And we are turning our eyes to you tonight. We believe that you're the God of justice. We are asking that your righteous right hand and your holy arm would work salvation. You know what's right. You know what's good. Rise up, O judge of the earth, and pay back to the proud what they deserve. And she went to court that Wednesday, and she came back to me a couple days later, and she said, Andrew, you will not believe what happened. She said, we stood up in front of the judge and we both laid out our case and the judge looked my husband square in the eye and said, you are one of the most despicable human beings I have ever seen in my life. I am awarding her basically like 100% of the stuff and you have no right or share in any of it. Our God is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And you've got to, I'm telling you, I said it earlier and I'll say it again. I think as God's people, I think it's right for us to immerse ourselves in this storyline as much as we can and to take comfort in it. One of the Psalms that I find great comfort in and I'm gonna do something here tonight that's maybe a little bit unusual. I'm just gonna invite you into a moment of locating yourself. I'm gonna read a Psalm to you. I'm gonna invite invite you to locate yourself tonight in the Psalm and then we're gonna have a little prayer time together tonight because I think that there are some of you That well, you just need the prayers of the people of God for you tonight. Psalm 35. If you don't know this psalm yet, you better find it, you better bookmark it in your Bible, circle it, underline it. This is one of the great psalms when you're in a place where you feel like your back is against the wall. Listen to what the psalmist says The psalmist says, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Think about that. Contend, O Lord. With those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. The psalmist says, Take up shield and armor. Arise and come to my aid. Brandish spear and javelin against those who pursue me. Say to me, I'm your salvation. And may those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. May they be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. May their path be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them since they hid their net from me without cause and without cause dug a pit for me. May ruin overtake them by surprise. May the net that they hid entangle them. May they fall into the pit to their ruin. Then my soul will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. My whole being will exclaim, oh, I love this. Who is like you, Lord? For you rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and the needy from those who rob them. Ruthless witnesses keep coming forward. They're questioning me on things that I don't know anything about. They repay me evil for good and they leave me like one bereaved. Yet when they were ill, think about what the psalmist is saying here. When they were ill, I went out of my way for them. I put on sackcloth and I humbled myself with fasting. And when my prayers returned to me unanswered, I went about mourning as though for my friend or brother. I bowed my head in grief as though weeping for my mother. But when they, I stumbled, they gathered in glee. "'Assailants gathered against me without my knowledge. "'They slandered me without ceasing. "'Like the ungodly, they maliciously mocked. "'They gnashed their teeth at me. "'How long, O Lord, will you look on? "'Rescue my life from their ravages, "'my precious life from these lions.' But I will give you thanks in the great assembly, and among the throngs I will praise you. Don't let those gloat over me who are my enemies without cause. Don't let those who hate me without reason maliciously wink the eye. They don't speak peaceably, but they devise false accusations against those who live quietly in the land. They sneer at me and they say, Aha, aha, with our own eyes we have seen it. Lord, you've seen this. What a comfort. You've seen this, the psalmist says. Don't be silent. Don't be far from me. Lord, awake and rise to my defense. Contend for me. Everybody say, Contend for me. Contend for me, Lord, my God and Lord. Vindicate me in your righteousness, Lord, my God. Don't let them gloat over me. Don't let them think, aha, just what we wanted or say we've swallowed them up. But may all who gloat over my distress be put to shame and confusion. May all who exalt themselves over me be clothed with shame and disgrace. But may those who delight in my vindication shout for joy and gladness. May they always say the Lord be exalted who delights in the well-being of his servants. Can somebody give praise to God for that tonight? May they always say the Lord be exalted who delights, he God delights, in the well-being of his servants and my tongue will proclaim your righteousness and your praises all day long. How many of you by a show of hands, you have had a moment in your life when that was you? Keep it up real high. Back, back against the wall, did not know what to do. The enemies of God were nipping at your heels. They were accusing you and questioning you on things that you knew nothing about and you knew no way forward and somehow the living God rose up on your behalf. Friends, we have a testimony tonight, don't we? You have seen the faithfulness of the Lord. Now I wanna ask you another question and this is gonna require a little boldness from you. How many of you in the room tonight would say that is actually exactly where I am right here, right now? Real high, hold them up real high all over this room. You'd say, Andrew, that's me. The enemies of God, they're coming at me. They're coming at me from so many directions, I can't, even, I can't even deal with it. I'm at like my wit's end. Like when Daniel earlier in the service tonight was like some of you wandered in exhausted, out of breath. That's the reason that you're out of breath is because you have been fighting for yourself. Hold your hand up really high. And so now if you're around these folks, would you just touch their shoulder, lay your hands on them? And can we just begin to extend, join our faith with theirs and extend our faith into their situation? This is what Jesus says. Jesus says that I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will also be loosed in heaven. Wherever two or three are gathered together in my name and wherever they come together in agreement, I'm there in the midst of them. And so Jesus Christ, son of the living God, we, wouldn't have even ta- we would not have even believed these things unless you had said them. But you say that you add your authority to our agreement and tonight we are coming into agreement. Yeah, we are coming into agreement. I'm praying for all of those right now that are in business situations where it is just unjust and the enemies of God are crouching and it's like they have leveraged all of their business skill to do evil things. We say, break the arm of the wicked, oh God. We say, crush it in your world in Jesus' name. I'm praying for those tonight that are in abusive relationships right here, right now. And it feels like the whole thing is coming to a head and all of a sudden they're waking up to it, you know, decades maybe, of being in an abusive relationship. And now it's like, how in the world am I going to get out? And I'm praying that the same God who with his righteous right hand and his holy arm delivered the people of Israel up out of Egypt, that you would break the rod of the oppressor, that you would grant deliverance in Jesus' name. I'm praying for all those, maybe it just feels like the demonic foe is against us. And I'm praying tonight that all of those who are oppressed by depression and anxiety by suicidal thoughts we speak a word of life we speak a word of hope we speak a word of faith into these hearts and into these minds we pray that the son of righteousness would rise with healing in his wings in minds and in bodies that you would dispel the clouds of sin and sadness that you would drive the dark of doubt away grant it we pray in Jesus name we say contend O God with those who contend with us rise up against those who rise up against us. And I'm praying that for each one of these tonight that have raised their hands in faith, we are asking that they would stand up at the end of this process and say, my whole being exclaims, who is like you, O Lord, who delights in the well-being of your servant? Grant it, we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Can we give God praise tonight? It's the will of God to bring disorder to an end in his world. We can take refuge in that. We can take it to the bank. This is what God is doing. As surely as he delivered his son Jesus from death, so he is working this out in his world. And we can take refuge in it. But I want to return to the question at the top now and ask it again. The question that we ask of any biblical text is this question. We ask, how does this or that text reveal the eternal purpose of God in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I said it before, and I'll say it again now. One of the things that you see when you look at this text is, yes, Solomon, the king of peace, establishes the reign of God among the people of God, but he does it in an unbelievably brutal way. All of these enemies of King David, and King David, there's this stretch where he looks like this really generous guy. He had all of these people that were against him. And when he finally ascends to the throne, you know, he's very magnanimous and forgiving and it's okay and don't worry about it. And then the crabby old codger here at the end of his life says to his boy, hey, walk in the ways that God wants you to walk in and follow his statutes and all of that. And uh, hey, do you remember Joab. Do you remember that thing that he did that I didn't really like so much? Can you just kind of, you know, use your wisdom, be judicious, but uh, you know what to do. And he does that with a number of people. He like takes his dirty laundry and he puts it in Solomon's hands, the king of peace's hands. And he says, why don't you go? And the whole thing winds up looking like the Godfather is what it looks like. It's a brutal And bloody chapter, you know, and just as Solomon, through the agency of his military leader, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, gets done cleaning the blood off his hands, you know, we get that verse at the end of chapter two where it says, and now the kingdom was firmly established and they all live happily ever after, you know, and we're kind of going like, why do we feel uncomfortable about this? am I the only one that feels uncomfortable. And I want to suggest to you tonight that if you feel discomfort over a text like that, It's not because you're an enlightened modern person or because you're resisting the authority of the word of God in some way. It's because you have been trained to know better in Jesus Christ. What we're looking for in the Old Testament is we're not looking for straightforward moral lessons that just help us know what to do. Because if that were the case, we'd all go out and what are we gonna do with our enemies that are nipping at our heels tonight? Well, we're gonna go get them taken care of somehow. I know a guy. No, we're looking for the true king of peace. And Jesus says this in Luke chapter six about enemies. He says, but to you who are listening, I say this, love your enemies. Oof. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you, verse 29. If somebody slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other. And if somebody takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. And give to everyone who asks you. And if anybody who takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Verse 31, do to others as you would have them do to you. Verse 32, and if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. Verse 33, and if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. Verse 34, if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Verse 35, even sinners led to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But you, you love your enemies and you do good to them and you lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Verse 36 Be merciful. Everybody say, Be merciful. How are we to be merciful? Just as our Father in heaven is merciful. The reason that a text like 1 Kings chapter 2 causes us discomfort is because we have met Jesus Christ. And in that way, 1 Kings chapter 2 is actually a photo negative of Jesus. As Solomon establishes what appears to be the reign of God by shedding the blood of other people, Jesus establishes the reign of God how? By allowing his own blood to be shed on the cross, not just for his friends, but also for his his enemies, Bernard of Clairvaux. The great monk of the late Middle Ages said that if God did not love his enemies, he would have no friends. Do you know why any of us are in this room tonight? Because we once were the enemies of God. Enemies in our minds because of our sinful behavior. But now we have been reconciled by Christ Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter 2 that it was the kindness of God that brought us to repentance. The way that Jesus establishes his kingdom is not by crushing our enemies, but by crushing the evil in our enemies so that they can come into the kingdom. One of the best stories I know of this, and with this, we're gonna come to communion. I'll invite you to stand actually tonight as we prepare our hearts for communion. Up on your feet, come on. You can do it. I believe in you. So everybody's like, I think he's saying that rhetorically. One final story, and then I'll take us to the table tonight. Many of you know the story of Elizabeth Elliot. Her and her husband Jim, they were missionaries to Ecuador way back in the 50s and there was this remote tribe that they were bent on reaching and they kept asking the Lord, Lord, would you help us reach these people? And through a series of events, they were able to establish contact with this very remote tribe. And so her husband, Jim Elliot, and a group of men established contact and they started interacting back and forth with these very remote tribe. In Ecuador, And at one point, Elizabeth and some of the folks who stayed back, they lost contact with Jim and the crew and they sent out a search party. And after a few days, they discovered Jim and the crew dead, speared in the back by this tribe, killed. And Elizabeth now is widowed and she's got a little girl with her. And she begins crying out to the Lord, God, what would you have me do? What's my response? What what do you require of me, Lord? And you know what she sensed? She sensed that the Lord was sending her back into that tribe to try to reach them. She's going, "God, they have already they have said to us as clearly as they can possibly say to us that they don't want us there. Spears in the back is a pretty good sign of like stay away. What are you saying, God?" She sensed the Lord sending her back. Go back, go back. And so she went back and established contact for, with a couple women and for a year those women taught her the language and then after a year welcomed her into the tribe can you imagine how she was shaking in her boots maybe this whole thing was a long play maybe they were doing this just to like win my trust and now they're going to kill me too what this what is this going to be like and she takes her three-year-old daughter into this tribe and she spends years with these people for like the rest of her life translating the bible for them winning them over to jesus and establishing the kingdom among this group of people How is the kingdom established in God's good world? It's established when the man from Nazareth in Galilee climbs up on the cross and he's pinned to the hardwood and as the blood is flowing down, he doesn't call down vengeance, but he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And the resurrection is the Father's yes to that prayer of Jesus. And tonight, one more time, for all of those people who are nipping at our heels, and who are making life uncomfortable. Now, church, I'm gonna ask you to extend your faith towards them. And so, Lord Jesus, we lift up all of our adversaries before you. And the first thing that we are praying is that you would take fear out of our hearts. Because so many of us are cowering in fear, and it's actually preventing us from embodying the kingdom to them. And so we say, take fear out of our hearts. And the only way that fear goes out of our hearts, John says, is that perfect love casts out fear. And so we ask that you would put love in our hearts for these people. Be merciful, Jesus says, as my Father in heaven is merciful. And we can only do that by the advent of the Spirit of God in us. And so we pray, Spirit of the living God, fall upon us to give us compassion for all of those who are making our lives a living hell. Would you help us see that they don't know what they're doing Would you help us see how captive to evil they are? Would you help us stop being intimidated by them? Would you help us start seeing them for what they are? They're slaves. And now we pray that the kindness of God would go marching into their lives to liberate them and set them free. And we are standing in this place tonight expecting that we are going to see from you stories of liberation and redemption, oh God, because you went ahead of us, because you unlocked the prison doors in their hearts. And you set the captives free. And so grant that, we pray, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said. I'm going to invite our servers to come down to serve communion tonight. You're going to come forward. Ushers will dismiss you row by row. You'll come and take your communion elements back to your seat. And then Pastor Daniel uh, will lead us to the table of the Lord.
2: plan to do this, but could you turn down all the stage lights except for the cross? I want you to look up at it. Jesus says, forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And I sense tonight that he's inviting us to say the same thing. It's an invitation, it's not coercion, it's not manipulation, but you know it takes a lot of strength to say, forgive them, Father. And so tonight, I just wanna, before we receive communion, I just wanna invite you to be free. <laughs> it's, it's an invitation to be free. You can just do your best to, even if it's just Friday night at 7.51, let it go for like one minute. You'll have to say it again before bed. You'll have to say it again tomorrow. I'm not saying this is some quick fix. I'm saying just right now, can you begin to say, forgive them, Father? You know who it is. You know what it is. You know how it feels. And I'm just inviting you to look up at the man who is the strongest man that ever lived (laughs) because he was the most gracious and forgiving man that ever lived. And just right now, would you release them? Would you try? Would you ache toward that? Forgive them, Father for they know not what they do. So Lord, we pray, have mercy on them, just like you've had mercy on us. Have mercy on them, just like you've had mercy on us. Have mercy on them. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. Would you break that little wafer in your hand and would you look at it? And I want you to see what the invitation is for you to be broken as Jesus has been broken, to follow him into that kind of faithful brokenness and to let him restore you and defend you and vindicate you. Jesus says, this is my body and it's broken for you. And as often as you do this, remember me. Translation, remember what your call is (laughs) to live in mercy, to live in trust. Friends, you may receive the bread from Jesus. same night he took the cup of wine he said this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins (laughs) wash away sins i know i need jesus to purify me and to cleanse me and to make me new and to make me whole And so friends tonight i'm here to tell you if any person is in christ paul says you're a new creation the old is gone and the new has come. Let's drink up to your forgiveness tonight in Jesus' name. Let's sing. 54, you're fine. Settle in. Let's worship the Lord. Come on. Hallelujah for the Lord, God Almighty reigns. Let's worship our way out of here tonight. Let's get our joy and our strength back. Hallelujah. you open your hands tonight to receive the blessing. It is God's will to bring disorder to an end. And so I pray this week you would taste just a little bit more of that. Shalom, peace, protection, Sweet sleep. I sense some of you have been so tormented. You've lost your sleep. And I pray that you'd sleep like a baby. I pray that you'd lay your head on the pillow and sense his nearness. God is with you. So Lord, we rebuke disorder in Jesus' name. And we pray that you would establish your shalom for your people. Lord, I pray this week, my friends would walk lighter. Pray that you'd get your bounce back, the bounce in your step, the energy, the vitality, the vigor, the faith, the hope, that you'd, you'd walk just a little quicker. Why? Because you've got hope. You've got the wind of God at your back. I pray that you get your bounce back this week. I pray that the Lord our God would bless you and that he would keep you, that he would make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you that the lord would lift his bright smiling countenance upon you and all of your people and i pray that he would grant you peace in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit and all god's people said can we give god thanks for what he's done here tonight eight o'clock Woo. can we say thank you to thee, andrew burden are tonight for preaching the paint off the walls we love you we love you couple things Remember, we've got the men's conference tomorrow, the free man conference from 8 to 11. We've also got our prayer team coming down. If you would like prayer about anything, please uh, let us agree with you in prayer. If you're new, swing by Guest Central. Go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. Much love.